Welcome to the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. I'm your host, Christy Love. I believe in taking massive action to overcome life's biggest challenges because I know the rewards that lie on the other side. This show is a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation to help you level up in your life. Here's to a new you where your dedication, commitment, and staying true to yourself will make your wildest dreams come alive. I'm a transformational trainer, speaker, firm mama, and proud wife to a distinguished Navy SEAL. We believe in the motto, never give up, never quit, while doing it all with love. I'll share real talks with experts and thought leaders who offer proven strategies to turn your barriers into success in this unfiltered, transformational, and thought-provoking podcast. Let's do this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. I am so absolutely excited today to share a very special person, Michelle Quay, to you all, and just introduce you to her all and allow her to share her amazing, amazing story. First, was introduced to Michelle actually on Facebook. I immediately was drawn to her and attracted to her and her story. And I was like, oh my goodness, this woman is the epitome of why I created the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. I mean, it is all about her story, her journey, and what she's thrived for, overcame, and how she's created the success on the other side that we are, are privileged to be able to listen to today. I'm just going to give you a little introduction about Michelle. She is a, actually a fellow Toastmasters. Yeah, as you listeners know, I've been a Toastmasters on and off for about 17 and a half years. And that's really what started my journey to create a podcast and to help other people to be seen and loved. And Michelle is actually an area director of Toastmasters International. She's also a keynote speaker, which she speaks on confidence and leadership. She is an author of a book called Perfectly Normal, which I am so excited to hear more about. And she is the founder of the Elevate Life Coaching, which I encourage you all to take a look at. And I'm just going to start. I've talked enough. I'm going to let Michelle introduce herself to you all. Michelle? I am so thrilled to be here. And when I was connecting with Christy, I said, Hmm, this woman looks really interesting and she get that I get that vibe. I'm a type of person who engage others through vibe and I love Christy's vibe. So I said to myself, mm-hmm. why don't I reach out to her and see what would be the possibility of us collaborating together and work on something and co-creating something together. So here I am. Yes. Thank you, Christy. You're welcome, Michelle. It was like an immediate connection because I just saw her. I'm like, oh my gosh, she is it. Perfect. We just feel like we just connect together so perfectly. So I am so excited to introduce you to my listeners, Michelle. Um, Let me start with just sharing your story. You have an amazing story that is, wow. Okay, I'm not going to say anymore. Okay, Michelle, (laughs) I'll let you go. Well, so I think the reason why I saw this podcast and when I reach out to you, what really resonated with me was the word be seen, be loved. And I think 
this is just so the listener have an idea of the kind of person I am right now. Four feet, four inches tall. I walk with a crutch and I look very petite. And there's not, if you were to open, go to my closet, open my drawer, open my closet, there's not a single piece of garment that I have not altered. So all my life, I was struggling to be seen and to be loved. And it all originated from a car accident when I was 11 years old. So up until, from my birth up until 11, I was a very typical ordinary kid, nothing special, never stood out in front of anybody, kind of just going through my day. And a lot of time I feel... I felt that I was taking a lot of things for granted, taking my family for granted, that they're always going to be there, taking the school, my friends in school go to be granted, because I felt every morning when I wake up, they're always going to be there. But little did I know that there are things that happen in our life that can change our life trajectory so much that in any given moment, you might just lose everything altogether. And that realization came after my whole journey through recovery from this car accident that I had at age 11. When I was 11, I was coming off from school one day and I remember my mom was running late to pick me up. And so I waited, I was playing with my friends on the side, and then I saw her coming afar, coming from the other side of the street. So I wanted to get up and meet her to cross the street. So when I walked to, when I reached the middle of the row, suddenly I saw all these chaos around me. I hear people shouting. There's a lot of noise coming from all over the place. And I stood there, I was trying to make sense of what was going on, what was people yelling, what was people shouting about. By the time I realized it, I was out, I was on the floor, and there's a big piece of memory that I just completely erased, don't remember. When I woke up that day, I found myself in the hospital. I was lying in bed. I woke up, opened my eyes. I saw my parents talking to the doctor, and then I felt this excruciating pain coming out from my body. And I looked down, and I noticed I was wrapped with plasters. And all these wet, heavy plaster is just wrapped all the way from my waist to my ankle. So after that incident, for the following three months of my life, I was trapped in my bedroom. My parents end up setting up a corner in our living room and call that my bedroom. I was hanging out in that corner for a very long time, for three months. Can't go to school anymore. I stopped seeing my friends. I don't know how they were doing. And I didn't have any homework to do. And I, people had asked me, how does it feel when you were in that place where at 11 years old? What was going on in your mind? And all I could say to them was, at age 11, I didn't know how to, how to make sense of it. I thought I was going back to school. I thought I would be able to see my friends again. But little did I know that was not the case. After they took off the cast, took off the plasters, I had to live in a rehab center by myself because there's a rule that the parents cannot visit the child during the weekday 
from Monday through Friday. So I was there living there by myself. I go to school, go to physical therapy, and it was just learning how to live on my own among all these other kids who either had polio, cerebral palsy, or all kinds of disability. I was among them, and I went through my puberty at that time. So it was really hard to really reflect on exactly how I was feeling at that young age. After my discharge from the rehab center, I went on and my parents got the permission to come to the United States. So I am an immigrant. I was not born in the United States. I was born in Taiwan. And when my parents first got the permission to come to the state, I didn't speak English at all. So the fact that I'm sitting here and speaking English, that's another struggle and journey where I have to learn how to speak. And this is something that I have learned when I came to this country that there is no such thing as grammar. You can speak without the grammar altogether. All you need is, you know, the verb, the pronoun, the noun, and you're perfectly fine. You can communicate. But I had to find that. I had to overcome that fear just to be able to speak English. So I came here, I was dealing with learning another language, and I was also dealing with accepting the differences that I was seeing on myself as someone who had disability. And just to backtrack a little bit, when I got discharged from the hospital, my doctor had given me a pair of metal brace, and he told me, Michelle, you're going to have to wear these until you are 18, over 18, when your bone, when you stop growing. For any reason that you decided not to wear them, there's potential uh, damage to your body because you're, as you're growing, your posture will change, your weight will change, and that will create permanent damage on your legs. But of course, as teenage girl, I was 15, 16. I was looking to look pretty, dress up pretty. I was ready to explore in a relationship. I was ready to you know, go out on a date. And in order to do that, you know, to go out on a date and look pretty, I would have to look somewhat normal. And the word came to me around that time, I need to look in certain way to be seen as normal. And in order to be normal, I had to remove my metal brace and just not use it. So from age 16 all the way till I was in college, I never wore the metal brace again. I put it into the garage, never seen it, don't want it. But my doctor was right. As I was growing, as I was developing, the way that I was walking, the way my weight was gaining, it created a permanent damage. So when I look into the mirror, when I stand in front of the mirror, my legs are crooked. My left leg is always two inches shorter than my right. I used to be able to walk without the crutches. When I got into graduate school, I could no longer walk with the crutches. I had to use the crutches in order to go far, in order to go further. And that led to me basically using my crutches ever since college, graduate school. And initially, my mom was my crutches. I go where she goes, she goes where I go. I would hold on to her hand because I don't want to be seen as someone who has disability. I don't want to be seen as someone who looks different. And so all my life, I live in the space where 
I'm trying to fit into a society where beauty is really being seen and weighed heavily. And this concept of beauty means that I need to be in certain height, I need to look a certain way, and I need to have the education. I need all these different social standards and packages that's posed upon me to be considered normal. And this is how I define normal. And a lot of people feel that same way. You know, they think they have to look and present themselves a certain way to be loved or to be seen or for people to be attracted to them. Mm -hmm. But your situation was so much deeper than that. So much deeper than that. Because, and I want to know how did other children accept you when you went back to school? Some did. Some were really curious. And this is something about children. They can be really cruel or they can be really kind. So I've experienced both extremes. Mm -hmm. There are people who's really kind. They, They take care of me. They want to be my friend. They would carry my stuff for me. And there are other extreme where I remember one specific incident where I got onto the bus. I remember the bus was really crowded after school one day. And I was finding a place where I can stand safely without falling. So I went up to a seat and I was holding onto the rail at the chair and my, my hand was there. And I remember this girl and I remember her from my class. She was in my English class and, and she looked at me, she gave me a look and then she pushed my hand away. And that look, I would always remember that look. She gave me a look that it felt like I have some kind of disease mm-hmm. that I can pass on to her. Right. She want me away. And I felt really hurt. How did you get over that feeling? Did you get that feeling stick with you or that you, it seems like you're a person who encourages the positive, who's more optimistic. Did that stick with you or did you just change your mindset and say, no, there's more good people in this world? No, it stuck with me. I was holding on to it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the messages I wanted to share is that a lot of time we look at people and we believe that this is how they have always been. We forget that every one of us had a journey of how we got here. And that journey, no matter how big or small it is, you are the kind of person today because you went through a transformational journey, no matter how big or small it is. So you are not yourself 10 years ago or 15 years ago. There's something about you that had evolved, that had changed, that brought you to realize that this is who you are. And that has everything to do with being authentic to ourselves. And so one of my biggest value is authenticity. Can we be true to ourselves and express in the way that is meaningful to us? It makes us feel that we are powerful and that we can actually stand tall and stand proud in this world being who we are. So I'm really, a lot of people would say, Michelle, you're so positive. I love your positive energy. But they don't, what they don't realize is that I was not always this way. How do you become a positive person who's authentic, who's brave, who, you know, is doing so much in the world when you've been through such tragedy? How do you, I mean, this is on a personal note. I just want to know, how do you become that kind of person? So I believe it's a three-step process. It's really 
a three-step process. The first step is becoming aware what is going on, right? So if we're being so negative, there's some point in our life, in my life particularly, I realized that this is not working out for me. I was sad. I was depressed. I recognize the fact that this is how I am feeling. I'm emotionally drained and I, I am unmotivated. Emotionally aware and I, I'm consciously aware this is how I am. So it moves you to the next step, which is acceptance. Acceptance is not about, you know what, this is what it is, I'm just going to give up. Or, you know, things are not working out for me, I'm just going to give up. Acceptance is about allowing what had happened without fighting against it, without sending that resistance, without pushing it away in avoidance. So acceptance is about accepting the situation the way it is. And for me, it was about accepting this is the body I'm going to be living in, and there is nothing I can change about that. I am always going to be four feet, four inches tall. I am always going to look different from other people. And by accepting it, it allows me to start seeing the choices. What choices do I have? I have two choices. I can continue to allow myself to live in a very negative way, or I can see what I can do better. And that approach of what can I do to make things better, it gives us opportunity to learn, to grow, and to thrive. So my choice, it came really clear to me because I was not, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life. I was 40 when I realized I was a late bloomer. Because a lot of people have that <laughs> early realization when they were, uh, you know, younger. But I had to reach to my 40. Maybe it was a midlife crisis that pushes me to recognize it. So I was 40 when, I, when this realization came to me. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life feeling sorry for myself and just keeping myself being playing small all the time. So I decided I made a choice. I made a choice by going out and I'm going to challenge this body. I want to see, I want to prove to myself, how far can I go with this body? If I can't walk, if I can't run, can I walk? And I think Martin Luther King had a great quote, something about, if you can't walk, then crawl. If you can't crawl, then do whatever using your hand. And I can't remember the, the whole entire quote, but he said it very perfectly. You know, whatever you can do, get out of that space, get out of your head and start moving. So I did, I went challenge myself. I wanted to prove to myself, what can I do better? So I went and for the first time in my life, went into a gym, became a member. I signed up to a gym. I said, you know what? You know, I'm going to, if I can't run, I'm going to try walking. And so I went into the gym and then it took me further to hire a personal coach. And one day I was having a conversation with my coach and I said, you know, there's a lot of friends around me. They came back from a hike and they were all talking about how amazing the hike is. I really wanted to try do the hiking, which I have never done before. And he said, great, you know, where would you like to hike? I said, you know, they were all talking about going up to Peru, going up to Machu Picchu. I want to go to Machu Picchu. 
and his face changed. He was shocked. <laughs> Jaw drop. <laughs> Machu Picchu. Yeah, Machu Picchu. The biggest hike in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's one, one of the seven wonders of the world or the seven uh, ancient wonder of the world. So the seven wonders include the China, the Great Wall, Angkor Wat, Egypt, and Machu Picchu, and also there's a temple in Mexico. So those are the seven wonders of the world. And I picked Machu Picchu because the timing was right, because people were talking about it. And that was the first thing that came to my head. You know, I want to be part of something and I want to be part of a conversation. And if I can't participate in a conversation where people are talking about Machu Picchu, that doesn't seem normal for me. Right. And, and I'm not being seen in a conversation when people are talking and same thing with sports. You know, I never liked sports because I could never play sports. And I felt really left out in a conversation. I felt not being seen. A conversation and, about football or basketball and hiking Machu Picchu is completely different, Michelle. <laughs> Well, I kind of see them all like in the physical world, right? So they all require a mall, a certain mall that you want to go to. Machu Picchu is on a whole new level. That's exactly what my sister said. My sister said, you know, when I told her, hey, you know, I'm going to Machu Picchu, she was really angry with me. She's like, you're going to get yourself killed. What were you thinking? And, and of course, lo and behold, because Machu Picchu is in a high elevation, it's high altitude. So when I got there, I actually experienced some high altitude syndrome. So I had the whole gastrointestinal um, side effects, the shortness of breath. I was really exhausted, tired all the time. And I remember two days before my Machu Picchu hike, I got stomach flu. So I actually checked myself into a hospital in Peru. And I remember calling my sister and she said, you're going to die there. I need you to come home. <laughs> I thought about it and I told her, no, I didn't come this far to go home. To quit. Yes. And then go back home. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's an so amazing story. I hiked through it in four days. It was one day every day for about seven to 10 miles each day. And we had to camp outside. I really just rough it out. So there were three things that I've learned on that trip. First of all, number one is you don't need to speak the language. All you have to do is just smile, look pretty, be authentic, Right. And people will be jumping in to help you. Like the minute that you ask for help without the spoken language, people will be giving you a helping hand. As long as you're genuine, as long as you are authentic, people see you. I've had a lot in different countries. In different mm -hmm. countries, yes, people are so willing to help. Mm -hmm. And it's so genuine. And you're just grateful to be of service of other people. Yes. Yes. And then that's how we connect with each other, you know, through that genuine feeling when people will meet you authentically, if you show them your authenticity. Right. They can kind of feel your soul. They can feel your spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's just, how we connected. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly how we connected. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So and then the second thing that I've learned, and it was, um, you know, you know how a lot of us, you know, we're so on top of things where we, we have a list of to do things, we have a bucket list to do. On that trip, I learned that you don't need any of the bucket list, you don't need any of your to do, you can throw them away. And instead, what they'll do is they'll give you a bucket so that you can do all your business. 
What kind of business? Like your business business? Like your business business, like number one and number two business. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's all good. Right. That's all you need. That's simple as that. You know, you no more, no more. I need to do this. I need to do that. No, you only have two things to do. Hike and your business. (laughs) Right. That is funny. And then maybe some water along the way so you don't pass out. Uh, right right and every moment you know as I was hiking through it I had to hike with my two crutches because when I walk far my back has a lot of pressure that that's um, building so in order to alleviate some of these pressure I would have to uh, walk with the two crutches instead of just one most of the time you know if I'm doing short distance or local I can just walk with one so as I was hiking every step it was a push-up so I, I have a lot of upper body strength because I was doing all these push-up, push-up after push-up. And a lot of those ladder or the stairs, they're really tall. These, I don't know. It's really amazing to see how um, these giant stones got carried up to Machu Picchu because they're huge. And some of them are actually the length or taller than the length of my legs. And remember, I'm really short. So in order for me to climb up to the stairs, I have to put my crutches on the first step, get onto my knees and hand, crawl up, pick up my crutches, and then repeat the whole process again and again on each step as I go up. So it was a lot of pushing up, picking up stuff, and just keep doing it, repeating it. And I remember by the time I got to the campsite, usually my arms were like all swollen, they were hurting. So I, through that genuine connection, I started to ask for help. And I think this is another lesson, a big lesson that I have learned is to ask for help. And I realized that I don't have to do everything by myself. I can ask for help. And people would be willing to jump in to help. So I start asking them, you know, can you give me some of the bucket and another um, set of water so I can soak my hand in there. And people are so friendly and they're so loving and caring for each other. So things I've learned from my Machu Picchu trip, I came home so inspired. And wow. I, I, it's just a very transformative journey for me. Well, two takeaways I got from that trip was one, be humble. You know, it kind of broke you down to the bare minimum of nothing, nothing. And you had to dig deep and create all your strength and energy and ignite all of that to be able to achieve that accomplishment or goal. And the next, you said, ask for help. Ask for help. We can't do it alone sometimes. It's so great to give others the opportunity to serve because we all are given a gift to help other people. So allow other people to help you sometimes. And sometimes we have to just take a step back and allow someone else to, you know, be good, be genuine, be authentic and help someone else because they think about how you feel when you help someone, you know, it makes you feel great. You accomplish something for the day. You feel your spirit comes alive. Why not give that gift to someone else? And, Accept it, you know, accept it. I think that's very hard for many people. You know, I want to know, what is it in you? Okay, because a lot of people have, oh, I got, you know, headaches, I can't do this, can't go to work, you know, minor things that you would see in comparison to what you've been through that really live in a life of depression and self-consciousness and being and becoming invisible 
what is it in you that you have, maybe it's from childbirth or when you were raised, that gave you the tenacity to be able to overcome such tragedy and still beat all odds and create impossible feats to do the things that you've done and accomplish the things that you've accomplished? I think the biggest thing for me is what comes up for me is the word brave, B-R-A-V-E, brave. And I believe that every single one of us have that bravery and you're able to call it out in the time of need. And I think my parents, I love my parents, they're great. And I think when they raised me, they raised me to figure things out, take out your bravery, and you got this. It's a simple belief that it's already here mm. and that despite of how you look, where you are, what your status is, you're going to figure it out. And you're just going to have to go and jump on it. I remember a couple of times that um, you know, I had to reach stuff on the top shelf. It was during the beginning of my recovery. I had to reach things on the top shelf. And my parents, they didn't say, oh, let me help you with that. They never pamper me. They never allow me to play small. They actually challenged me to step out of my comfort zone and just grab it, figure it out. They gave me a step stool. They said, here, use it. And that's how I've always see myself. That's how I always work through all the challenges is just by stepping out of my comfort zone and be brave and knowing that there's something inside of me already. It's going to help me to pull me through and, and just close my eyes and just take a leap of faith and just jump. So I think the most important word for me is really just being brave. Well, kudos to your parents. You know, a lot of parents um, nowadays just really baby their children and would protect them in something like that, would overly protect them and keep them away from anything that would harm them. And your parents actually did the opposite. They challenged you to overcome, you know, things that you felt that you couldn't do. And that made you stronger inside. And I knew there was something about you that was a little bit special because not everyone's able to do that. Um, for me, I was using a crutches and a walker for about two years. And I went on a trip to Mexico, to the Mayan ruins. It kind of reminds me of that situation. So I had to climb over those rocks. And it's nothing, absolutely nothing compared to Machu Picchu. I think it was some tour thing that we went on. But yeah, those rocks are amazing. But the struggle that I, that I endured just trying to climb and get to the top and go down was just so hard for me. And for you to just go through a feat, an impossible, almost impossible feat like that is just amazes me. So mm -hmm. thank you for your strength and your bravery and just sharing that with our listeners, of course. Um, I want to go over your, go, go through your book a little bit. It's called Perfectly Normal. And it, it's about an immigrant story of making it in America. Now talk about that a little bit. So it's a memoir of my whole entire life's journey. And the way I see this book, I, I see this book as a big letter of completion. It speaks about my journey prior to me becoming a coach, becoming a speaker. It really speaks the whole entire life journey of what was my limiting belief? What were the culture and the perception that created the person who I was during the 40 years of my life. 
So all these beliefs that I carry about what does it mean to be normal, what does it mean to be perfect, and I think a lot of us strive for to be perfect. We want this perfect job, we want this perfect education, we want to have the perfect car, perfect family, but yet we come to a point we realize that perfect is just a lie, normal is a lie, and we kept living in that lie until. Someday, perhaps it's a tragic event, or perhaps it's something that didn't go as well as we expected, and then we stop and pause to realize that we've been living in a lie for a very, very long time. And I reflected back to me being being disabled, being judged all the time, being discriminated as an immigrant, and all that judgment that we feel. That we we interact with others, all that judgment is more than just about judgment from others opposing upon us. It's really about our own self judgment. How we're judging others and judging us. I know it's a tumble, but the way that we see how other people are judging us, it's really a self perception of their judging. If I am neutral, if I have this protect invisible protection around me, this white light around me, there is no judgment that can harm me, that can cause any feelings that makes me feel like a victim. So it's all about self judgment. And so when I was writing the book, I had that intention, that message. A lot of what we're going through, no matter how big or small, we're constantly judging ourselves to be perfect, to be normal. To be seen, to be loved, to be noticed, and just to be in this world. So that's what the book is about. It's about releasing your judgment, and I did it from the perspective of me as a first person going through my journey as a person with disability, as well as someone who is coming from another country, different color skin, and all that discrimination that I was experiencing. Now, it's sad to see that so many people are their own biggest critic. You know, like they and I've experienced it myself. I lived in many years of just self-limiting beliefs and judging myself, on top of being judged by so many other people. You know, we put so much and we endure so much on ourselves that there's enough out there that's put on us. We don't need to add more to it. You know, but it's easier said than done, of course. But I like the. I like the term that you said. If you can just put a white light or protection around us, that nothing can penetrate. That nothing can enter. Nothing can harm us, and we're free to work on being ourselves. But it's when you get that, and it took me many years to <laughs> definitely to get to a point where I don't care anymore. I'm fine. I love myself for just who I am. But it took me many years to get to that point. It was many years of. Just looking at myself, oh, this is not right. That's not right. I'm not perfect. I'm not fit enough. I'm not, you know, skinny enough. I, you know, I'm different than everyone else. I speak from different from everyone else. I don't fit in. So many things that we talk about in our head that, you know, I had to just really do a lot of soul searching for many years and learning and being just more genuine and loving and finding love within myself. And it took me years of just being alone to do that. To be okay being by myself and being alone and being with this person inside of this body.、Mm-hmm. Now I wouldn't want it any other way, right? It's perfect. Now it's perfect. 
Now is perfect. Absolutely. So you're, you have your book, which is a great message that you share. Now you speak about this book in so many different platforms. You have numerous reviews and about your book and you are speaking and you're coaching. And what is this about? You're coaching now. I mean, you went from someone from a different country to having a tragic accident to building yourself up to writing a book. And now you are seen around the world, Michelle. Tell us a little bit about what sparked that interest to actually want to be a speaker and a coach. Yeah, so after my trip from Machu Picchu, I came home. I remember the last day, the very last day when I reached the top of Machu Picchu, I walked in and there's all these people from all over the world stood up and they were clapping, they were cheering for me. And a lot of them came up to me and they, uh, I remember one guy actually gave me a Canadian pin and he said, now you're honorary Canadian. I, I could never forget that and I still had the pin. And in that moment, what came up to me was inspiration. Mm. And I was looking for, when, when you were talking about soul searching, I was soul searching for my purpose. I was really stuck on what is trying to make sense of the meaning of my life. What was I meant to do given this body, being experiencing through this car accident, this recovery journey? What was that all about? So as I was doing the soul searching, I realized that my purpose, my sole purpose in this world, in this lifetime, is to inspire others to take actions. So I came home and I was curious of, okay, so how do I actually carry it out? And during that time, one of my friends was looking for a life coach and we had a conversation and somehow the universe just worked in a very mysterious way. I heard the term life coach and I reflect back to all the things I was doing. People come to me, they feel comfortable, they're vulnerable with me, they share their personal stories with me. I realized that along the way, I was helping them in a way that I never understood why and how. So when he, when my friend shared the, the term life coach, I came home, I Googled it. What is a life coach? Oh, this is what it means. It, it means that you're partnering up with someone else to inspire them to take action, which is perfect. And raising consciousness one person at a time. This is perfect. It resonated with me deeply. So I went on and I decided to enroll myself into a coaching program to actually get certified as a coach. And after that, in order for me to share more inspiration, I needed a larger platform. So I remember I was so afraid to speak. The first time I, I was sharing this uh, the other day with another friend of mine, and I said the first time I did a video, I was shaking. I was very nervous. I didn't know how to speak it, and which is why I joined Toastmasters, because I, I wanted to share my message, share my story. In order to do that, I can't be doing the um and uh, that all counter that we, we play in Toastmasters. So I can't do that anymore. So I got to really challenge myself to, the, to take it to the next level. So again, I went ahead and decided to join Toastmasters did more videos so that I can be visible, I can share my message. And it all came from that word inspiration. I wanted to be an inspiration for others so that they want to get up and take some actions. So that's how I became a coach and a speaker. 
It's funny that you say that, uh, Michelle. When I joined Toastmasters, I had a serious, it's called a blossophobia, a serious fear of being in public. I remember the first speech, I really almost hyperventilated and passed out on the floor. <laughs> it was that traumatizing. But you know what? I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And the same with you. It sounds like you had a fear of speaking, like you're trembling, but you knew that you had a purpose to do more. So you had to jump over another hurdle and continue to perfect your skill at speaking because you had a purpose. You had a passion. You had, a, you had something to get out to the world. And in order to do that, you had to perfect that, you know, your professional speaking skills, which you do absolutely great. Now, talk about some of the places that you've spoken to, some kind of the organizations that you speak to and you've helped along the way. Yeah. So last year, I was invited to a women empowerment event. Uh, it was my first time going out to Michigan. And, and I remember I was connecting with an event planner who was hosting the event. And I told her that this is my first time traveling out to Michigan to speak at a, at, in front of an audience. It was the beginning of my speaker journey. And I remember I was sharing with her, you know, is there anything that you want me to do as a speaker? Um, what would you like me to provide? So I was really nervous about going to that event. And that event, I walked away and I felt so touched, so empowered myself. Because I remember I was speaking in front of this large audience and I had that self-doubt when I walk in, when I walk up to the stage. And I didn't believe that I can touch a single soul. But little did I know, that day, I saw all the women in the audience stood up and they were clapping. And some of them were tearing. And I was really touched. I felt empowered. So that was one of my most memorable events. And later on, you know, I did, I did a number of uh, smaller workshops, team building workshops. Uh, a lot earlier before the pandemic hit, I was actually doing a two-day workshop for one of the uh, defense. It's a big company that works for the defense, U.S. defense. And they invited me to do a keynote speaking for their team member as a team appreciation day. So it was a two-day workshop. And what I shared was the, basically the foundation of how my coaching is based on the energy leadership. And energy leadership has to do with how we're showing up in the world, in the workplace, and how we interact with each other through the way that we carry ourselves and through the way that we influence each other through our energy. And that energy has everything to do with, you know, are you a positive person? Are you a negative person? And how do you shift and use your positive energy to influence others so that you can lead them in taking action? So that is energy leadership. So I did a two-day workshop for them right before the pandemic hits. And during that pandemic, <laughs> during the pandemic, I was actually um, scheduled doing another big event here in LA, another group of women uh, in a women empowerment event. And that, of course, got postponed to October initially, and now it's being pushed back to 2021. So, and, and, you know, throughout the whole pandemic, I was doing a lot of virtual speaking. I spoke, I actually volunteered because it was during the pandemic and there was a lot of hardships and people were looking for support. So I actually reached out to my local Lions Club, Rotary Club. I reached out to the Kiwanis Club. I reached out to them. And I said, you know, I'm not doing anything right now as a speaker. So why don't I just come to your event and I'll speak a complimentary for you? 
<laughs> and so I was doing a lot of that during the pandemic just to provide supports for everybody. Well, definitely. It's good to keep your skills up, like still continue to practice. So it's great that you were, you thought about contacting those organizations to get in there to practice because you can lose your speaking skills. <laughs> it's like riding a bike, you know, he's, well, no, it's not like riding a bike because if you don't speak for a while, it can't go away. It definitely can. I've done that for, I've done that before. And that was not very good. <laughs> so, I want to know where, what is Michelle doing now? Where are you now? What's your next step? So my next step is I am putting together a webinar to talk about what are the six influencers that can impact how we show up and being who we are. And this is a webinar. It, I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to offer it for free yet, but it's in the, in the process of developing. And I'm really just focusing on one-on-one -on -one coaching. And there's a lot of things I'm I'm currently involved. So I'm involved with nonprofit organization. But as far as, you know, professional-wise, I'm focusing on the one-on-one -on -one coaching. You're still staying pretty busy. I am busy. <laughs> I, I can't imagine me with a calendar that is blank. <laughs> Absolutely. I can understand that. I can totally understand that. But that's good that you're, you're continuing to go and keep going and you're not letting this pandemic stop you on your tracks. But there's so many people, again, in this world, they need your assistance, they need your motivation, they need your insp inspiration. And, you know, I'm from Michigan originally. So it's great to know that you went there for your first big, you know, speech. And I'm sure a lot of women were touched by that because I am touched as well. Just in closing, can you just ask your, um, give our listeners something to like a takeaway. What's one thing that you would give them to kind of inspire them to move forward? You know, a lot of people are dealing with a lot of things, especially during the pandemic. Even before that, you know, I'm sure they had a lot of heartbreak or, or health issues or, you know, tragedies in life. And this pandemic has just added on to that, of course. What would you tell our listeners to keep going, to keep thriving and to reach your highest, highest potential? I think the biggest takeaway message would be the fear. And I think during the pandemic, there's a lot of fear. There's the fear of uncertainty. There's the fear of, um, I might be losing something. And there's fear of perhaps you already lost someone, someone that you love. And so when it comes to fear, it is important to understand that fear is not going anywhere. And fear, it really depends on your relationship to the fear. It will determine whether or not you will continue to get stuck in the fear or you'll be able to use your bravery, which you already have, to move forward. And the way that you do it is by recognizing that, yes, I am afraid. And a lot of us, you know, we push through and we wanted to make sure that we continue to moving on. We're not giving ourselves permission and time to acknowledge and to validate our own feelings. I am fearful. Why? Because we're going through a pandemic. There's a lot of things going on. The election, we haven't even decided yet. I don't know where my tomorrow is going to be. Why not giving yourself the permission, giving yourself some kindness and, and self-love so that you can actually heal from what has been injured? And that is how you deal with fear, not by pushing it away, not by covering it up, but actually facing it with kindness, with love. And that's how you call out your own bravery. Awesome. Awesome. It's important, like you said, to acknowledge the fear. 
You know, there are so many times where I, I'm fearful too, or those negative thoughts come into my mind, but I embrace it now. I learned to embrace it and keep going. You know, say, oh, okay, you know, this is, this is what's happening right now. A little negative self-talk going on, but that's okay. I'm going to keep doing it. You're not going to stop me. And we have to get to that point where the fear does not stop us and we continue to thrive in spite of any fear that we're faced with. So, and you are a great example for, of that. And after sharing your stories, which is many different examples of how you have overcome so many different challenges in life. Not just, I mean, there's like way beyond challenge. I got to find another word for that because they are exceptional feats that you've overcome and you've created success on the other side of that. So I just commend you for that, Michelle. Please tell us, where can I find you? Where are you? So you can find me on my website at elevatelifecoaching.org, or you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Elevate Life Coach, or you can find me on the Facebook, Coach Michelle Quay. You can follow me on my personal page. I will be following you for sure on each and every last one of those because I do not want to lose you <laughs> because you motivate and inspire me and I will keep holding on to you and that motivation because, you know, we all need that. You know, we all need someone to uh, keep, keep lifting us higher because we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need other people. We need other people in this world and there's good heart, hearted people, good souls that surround this world that are more than happy to help boost you in the time that in your time of need. And so I thank you for that, Michelle, and for helping and inspiring so many people and women all around this world to keep going, keep going and keep thriving. And I thank you again for being on the Be Seeing Beloved podcast. Look forward to seeing new things that are happening in your life. And I will definitely keep in touch. And I hope our listeners will as well. Any last comments that you'd like to make, Michelle? Find your own tribe. Always go and find your own tribe. (laughs) That's right. A tribe that absolutely supports you and is committed to you and is there for you through the bad times and the good times and it helped you pull you up, you know, from broken pieces and put you back together again and send you out there to the world. And again, thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you listeners. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Be Seen, Beloved podcast. For more inspiring conversations, Please share with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or feedback, you can reach me directly at beseenbelovedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.